Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. The amazing person I'd like to talk about today is Emmeline Pethick Lawrence, a British women's rights activist and a major figure in the UK suffragette movement. Emmeline was born in 1867, and as usual, we'll look into what else occurred that year. The Regent's Park skating disaster happened on the 15th of January 1867, when 40 people died after the ice broke on the lake in London's Regent's Park pitching about 200 people into the icy water up to 12 feet or 3.7 metres deep. Most were rescued by bystanders, but 40 people died either from hypothermia or by drowning. On February the 15th, Johann Strauss II's Waltz, The Blue Danube, is first performed at a concert of the Vienna Men's Choral Association. Later this same year, Strauss will adapt it into its popular, purely orchestral version for the Exposition Universelle in Paris. On July the 9th, Queen's Park Football Club, the oldest association football league team in Scotland, is founded. October the 12th sees the end of penal transportation from Britain as the last convict ship, the Hugomont, departs from Portsmouth on an 89-day passage to Western Australia. 62 Fenians are among the transportees. And lastly, the Clerkenwell explosion, also known as the Clerkenwell outrage, was a bombing in London on the 13th of December, 1867. The Irish Republican Brotherhood, nicknamed the Fenians, exploded a bomb to try to free one of their members being held on remand at Clerkenwell Prison. The explosion damaged nearby houses, killed 12 people, and left 120 injured. None of the prisoners escaped. The event was described by the Times the following day as a crime of unexampled atrocity. Fenian Michael Barrett was found guilty of the crime, possibly on false evidence, and in May 1868 was executed outside the walls of Newgate Prison in central London in what was the capital's last public hanging. But the subject of today's show, Emmeline Pethick Lawrence, was born on the 21st of October 1867 and raised in Clifton, but then moved to Western Supermare as a child. Thank you.
word of the week. And this week's word, I give you... Suffragette. The word suffragette derives from the word suffrage, which comes from the Latin suffragio, which initially meant a voting tablet, a ballot, or the right to vote. In 1906, a reporter writing in the Daily Mail coined the term suffragette in order to belittle the women advocating women's suffrage. The militants, though, embraced a new name, even adopting it for the use of the title of the newspaper published by the Women's Social and Political Union. Emmeline Pethick was the eldest daughter of a commodities importer, Henry Pethick, who became owner of the Western Gazette and a Western town commissioner. She was the second of 13 children. She later recalled... My mother bore 13 children, of whom five died in infancy. My youngest brother was born 17 years after me. Those were the days of large families. I never heard my mother make any complaint about this excessive childbearing. She accepted it with complete surrender and even with satisfaction. She was sent away to boarding school in Devizes at the age of eight. A rebellious child, she was constantly in trouble with her teachers. And after being transferred to a Quaker school, she was accused of being a corrupting influence on other children. Her younger sister Dorothy Pethick, the tenth child, was also a suffragette. Although born into a wealthy family, Emily went to West London when she was 23 to volunteer with the West London Methodist Mission, working as a Sister of the People from 1891 to 1895. Here she met lifelong friend Mary Neal. In 1895, she and Mary founded the Esperance Girls Club to try and improve the lives of slum girls working in the textile trade. This was a place where the young women and girls weren't held under the constraints of the mission and could experiment with dance and drama. Emmeline believed it was important to give these girls a practical example of socialism in action. And the whole venture was influenced by the ideas of William Morris, Edward Carpenter and Walt Whitman. In 1899, Emmeline met the wealthy lawyer Frederick Lawrence. The couple fell madly in love but Emmeline refused to marry him because he didn't share her socialist beliefs. In 1900, she developed a hostel at Littlehampton for working girls' holidays. Frederick converted to socialism in 1901, and Emmeline agreed to marry him. And after marriage, they both changed their surnames to Pethick Lawrence and kept separate bank accounts to give them financial independence. Soon after the wedding, Emmeline thought she was pregnant. Frederick wrote that the birth will make us both extra happy. Isn't it splendid, dear? My heart just keeps singing and singing and it won't keep quiet. However, Emmeline suffered a miscarriage and discovered that she couldn't have children. Frederick wrote to her, I am to you a splendid husband and you to me a splendid wife. And that is enough. The couple bought a Lutian's designed house in Homewood, south of Dorking, which they named the Mascot as well as a London flat. And for the next four years, Emmeline spent her time helping the Independent Labour Party and developing her ideas with the Esperance Club. 
However, when Emmeline read about the arrest and imprisonment of Christabel Pankhurst and Annie Kenny in October 1905, she decided to take an interest in the suffrage movement. The following year, she met Kenny and after a long discussion with her, she decided to join the Women's Social and Political Union, or WSPU. Christabel Pankhurst, daughter of famed suffragette Emmeline Pankhurst, lived with the Pethic Lawrences for five years in London and in Surrey, and the mascot became known to the press as the country home of the suffragettes. Every weekend, Emmeline, Fred and Christabel, who were in effect the day-to-day -day leaders of the WSPU, as well as other key figures, among them Annie Kenny, Flora Drummond and Lady Constance Lytton, would retire to Holmwood to plan campaigns whilst walking on Holmwood Common and in the Leith Hill area. Labour leaders Keir Hardy, George Lansbury and Ramsay MacDonald, the future Prime Minister, were also guests. And so Emmeline Pethick Lawrence helped found the suffrage movement and held rallies in Western Supermare and Bristol before becoming a suffragette when the suffragists went militant. Pethick Lawrence was a member of the Suffrage Society and was introduced to Emmeline Pankhurst in 1906. She became treasurer of the Women's Social and Political Union, which was founded by Pankhurst in 1903. It was struggling to establish itself in London though. Mary Neal also became a member of the London Committee and over the next six years she managed to raise £134,000 for them. The Pethick Lawrence's London flat at Clement's Inn became the organisation's first London office. For the next six years, Emmeline was always there with Mrs Pankhurst at meetings, marches and events. She brought business experience, money and a wealth of contacts to the organisation, recruiting regional leaders from her family and social circle. All four of her sisters and several cousins involved themselves in the campaign in one way or another. Emmeline was also an accomplished public speaker and an innovative fundraiser. She believed in her role to give the organisation a firm financial basis. And she was also responsible for coming up with the organisation's distinctive purple, white and green colour scheme, which is now forever linked with the suffragist movement. And through all of this, she became something of a mother figure to the younger women. With her husband, she launched and edited Votes for Women magazine, which spread the WSPU messages across the country. In 1906, Emmeline was arrested and charged with disorderly conduct after trying to speak in the lobby of the House of Commons, leading to the first of six spells of imprisonment. Her husband took over many of her duties as treasurer while she was in prison. She later recalled in her autobiography, My Part in the Changing World of 1938, when the morning newspaper brought the unexpected news of my first arrest in the suffrage movement, my father reacted to it in precisely the same way as I should have reacted had our positions been reversed. He was proud that a child of his had not hesitated to make a stand for the extension of democratic liberty. During one period of incarceration, her husband Fred offered £10 a day for every day she stayed in prison. And so a popular rhyme would ring out. £10 a day he said he'd pay to keep this face in Holloway.
Word on the Street. Today we venture forth to Armory Square in Bristol, BS5, where in 1805 the city guardhouse moved to this location while repairs were being carried out on the Wine Street building. And so locals refer to it as the Armory. The building was later used as a chocolate factory and afterwards converted into private dwellings. The Pethick Lawrences attended a number of events with Pankhurst, including the aborted visit to the Prime Minister in late June 1908, along with Jesse Stevenson, Florence Haig, Maud Jocum and Mary Phillips. After this particular event, though, some of the women protesters experienced some violent treatment. Even though her previous experience of prison was deeply disturbing and traumatising for her, she was still determined to get herself arrested again for the cause. And while she was in prison in 1909, Mrs Pankhurst and Christabel paid tribute to their beloved treasurer. Acknowledging her key role in establishing the organisation in London, and urging members to donate to a collection to buy her a car in suffragette colours to carry out official business. And when Emmeline was released from prison, she was greeted by crowds of supporters and driven to the customary celebration breakfast at the Criterion restaurant, where she gave an inspirational speech, calling Holloway Prison the Women's University. In 1912, as the militant campaign turned more aggressive, and stone-throwing and window-breaking began, Emmeline and her husband were arrested and charged alongside Mrs Pankhurst, not Christabel because she fled the country and escaped to Paris. They were charged with conspiring to commit criminal damage and inciting others to do so. The couple were tried together at the Old Bailey, and reading their highly emotional letters to each other, you can tell that they thought that this was a moment and their cause would be brought to the forefront of the public's attention. All three were convicted and sentenced to nine months. Fred and Mrs Pankhurst were also required to pay the cost of the trial under a new sanction against those convicted of conspiracy. But as a matter of principle, Fred refused to pay. Both Emmeline and Fred went on a hunger strike and had to face the full terror of being force-fed twice a day for several days. Fred later called the experience in his memoirs, Fate Has Been Kind, published in 1943. The head doctor, a most sensitive man, was visibly distressed by what he had to do. It certainly was an unpleasant and painful process, and a sufficient number of warders had to be called in to prevent my moving, while a rubber tube was pushed up my nostril and down into my throat, and liquid was poured through it into my stomach. Twice a day thereafter, one of the doctors fed me this way. I was not allowed to leave my cell in the hospital, and for the most part I had to stay in bed. There was nothing to do but read, and the days were very long and went very slowly. Emmeline was imprisoned alongside Mrs Pankhurst in Holloway, and after their release, Fred and Emmeline met with Mrs Pankhurst and Christabel in Boulogne. Christabel hadn't returned to England to stand trial. There was a difference of opinion over the Pankhurst's proposal to step up the campaign's attack on property damage and, in particular, over the use of arson as a tactic. Fred and Emmeline felt that this would alienate the public 
and squander the sympathy and support generated by the Old Bailey trial. And so whilst the couple were recuperating with Emmeline's brother in Canada, Fred was sued by property owners whose windows had been broken, and the Director of Public Prosecutions began proceedings to recover the costs of the trial. Mrs Pankhurst urged them to transfer their assets to Canada and to lead the fight for the vote there. You see, Pankhurst was worried because the Pethick Lawrence's opposition to her ideas of escalating the property damage and the prospect of Fred being repeatedly prosecuted and sued, making him bankrupt, might cause women to think twice about committing acts of property damage for the cause. And so, when they returned from Canada, Fred and Emmeline not only found that their house was occupied by bailiffs, appointed by the DPP, pending a sale of their assets to pay court costs, but they had also been ousted from the WSPU. Both were deeply hurt by what they saw as Mrs Pankhurst's betrayal of their trust. As Emmeline recalled in her autobiography, My husband and I were not prepared to accept this decision as final. We felt that Christabel, who had lived for so many years with us in closest intimacy, could not be party to it. But when we met again to go further into the question, Christabel made it quite clear that she had no further use for us. In the run-up to the auction sale at the Mascot in September 1912, the WSPU held a six-week campaign of meetings and events in Dorking and the surrounding villages. On the 31st of October, hundreds of supporters in suffragette colours attended and many brought back personal items to return to Fred and Emmeline. Both made speeches before the sale and Emmeline commemorated the event with a plaque in the hallway of the mascot, now known as the Dutch House, which reads, O Liberty, thou choicest treasure. When they left the Women's Social and Political Union, WSPU, Emmeline and Fred took with them Votes for Women magazine and continued to publish it as an independent suffrage magazine with Evelyn Sharp. Emmeline was imprisoned for a final time in 1913 with Evelyn after protesting at the use of the Prisoners Act on her erstwhile comrades. It was Fred who dubbed this the Cat and Mouse Act. There were several pleas in 1913 for Emmeline to return as treasurer to the WSPU, but in 1914 she joined the United Suffragists, a broad militant grouping of male and female suffrage campaigners. And on the outbreak of war, Emmeline Pethick Lawrence embarked on a speaking tour of the United States and Europe with her sister Dorothy and became involved in the women's peace movement there. It wasn't an easy task because during this tour she suffered violence and intimidation at many of the public meetings. She spoke at a mass meeting in October 1914 in New York and travelled around speaking about women and war, writing, I believe a great campaign for organising public opinion and its pressure to bear upon the governments of the world could be initiated now by the women's movement in America, the worldwide movement for constructive and creative peace such as the world has never seen, might even now come into being, a movement which would influence the immediate development of humanity. Her efforts and those of American peace women bore fruit in the Women's Peace Party, 
and a huge women's conference in Washington in January 1915. And when the event was over, the Mayor of New York presented them with a peace flag, peace in the white letters on a blue background, which the captain hoisted as they left the harbour. Emmeline was one of only three women from Britain who was able to attend the Women's Peace Conference in The Hague in 1915. She'd sailed with about 50 American women, even though at the time it was a huge risk due to the attacks by Germany in the Atlantic. Emmeline spent the rest of the war campaigning for a negotiated peace with the Women's International League. She championed a resolution demanding that, by international agreement, each country should take over the manufacture and control of arms and munitions as a step towards complete disarmament, and she supported calls for a conference of neutral nations to offer continuous mediation between the belligerent powers. In spring 1917, her husband stood in a by-election in Aberdeen on the issue of peace by negotiation, with her support, for which they were both attacked. Their windows were broken, coal was thrown at them and they were hustled off platforms. In the end, he only received a few votes. Her husband became a conscientious objector in 1918 and did alternative service as a labourer on a farm. And in 1918, she stood unsuccessfully for Parliament in Rushholm, Manchester. Emmeline also advocated independence for India and Ireland. In April 1919, she marched to Downing Street to deliver a resolution calling for an end to the hunger blockade on Germany. It was out of these protests that the charity Save the Children was established. She attended the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom in Zurich in 1919, calling it the most moving experience of her life as women from former belligerent countries came together. In the 1920s, the Pethick Lawrences moved to the village of Peaslake in the Surrey Hills, where the still-devoted couple had spent their honeymoon many years before. Fred had loved the way she was such a liberated woman when they met. She smoked, she went out walking without gloves, and she could jump off an omnibus when it was moving. It was around this time that Emmeline also became involved in the campaign led by Mary Stopes to provide birth control information to working-class women. In 1923, Fred Pethick Lawrence was finally elected to Parliament for West Leicester, beating Winston Churchill. This was about 20 years after having renounced his original candidacy and involving himself in the campaigns for the vote and against war. His main political interest was in finance and the elimination of poverty, but he never wavered on his commitments to women's equality. From 1926 to 1935, Emmeline led the Women's Freedom League, which continued to campaign for the vote to be granted to women on equal terms with men. In the Votes for Women magazine of Friday the 22nd of October 1926, Emmeline wrote... This hour is the great opportunity and supreme occasion. Let us seize it and go forward. It is not only the equal status of women, not only the reality of democracy, but it is also the reputation of our country that is at stake. It is high time that Great Britain came into line with the sister nations by giving her daughters the same citizen rights as she has given to her sons. Emmeline remained a prominent speaker on peace and women's issues throughout her life 
and collaborated with Lady Rhonda, later a neighbour at Shear, and her six-point group, which sought to open women's access to the professions and promoted equal pay and equal legal rights in a range of areas. She remained close to Sylvia Pankhurst, supporting her in her campaigns and becoming godmother to Sylvia's son, Richard. In 1937, Emmeline Pethick Lawrence published her autobiography, My Part in a Changing World, dedicating it to her husband, my unchanging comrade and my best friend. In 1945, she became Lady Pethick Lawrence when her husband was made a baron. It was a serious accident in 1950 which literally stopped her in her tracks. Frederick Pethick Lawrence looked after Emmeline until she died of a heart attack at her home at Gomshaw in Surrey on the 11th of March, 1954, aged 86. He wrote to a friend, I felt a bit dazed. It was as though I was at a violin concerto and the violinist was absent. Fred remained active in the House of Lords for the rest of his life, as well as writing a book and broadcasting on his causes. He remarried after Emmeline's death to Helen Craggs, an ex-suffragette for whom he'd stood bail for 50 years previously. Frederick Pethick Lawrence died in London in 1961. After Fred's death, Clement Attlee said that it was given to few men to play a major part in two great movements of liberation, but that Fred had done that, and so a plaque was erected on the headquarters of Dorking Labour Party in 1962, itself named Pethick Lawrence's House. The plaque said that the work of Fred and Emmeline for the emancipation of women and for world peace would be remembered for countless generations. In Bristol, a blue plaque was unveiled back in 2004 on the house where Emmeline was born, in Charlotte Street, and then one was put up in her honour on the gate pillar next to Lewisham House in Western Supermare's Bristol Road Lower. In March 2020, by the Western Town Council and Western Civic Society. Pethick Lawrence's name and picture, as well as those of 50 other women's suffrage supporters, are on the plinth of a statue of Millicent Fawcett in Parliament Square, London, which was unveiled back in 2018. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride.
In today's news, a man has been sentenced in Bristol Crown Court for stealing an advent calendar. He got 25 days. Back in the day facts. Okay, let's start with the 2nd of December 1804, where at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, Napoleon Bonaparte crowns himself Emperor of the French. On the 4th of December 1971, during a concert by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention at the Montreux Casino, an audience member fires a flare gun into the ceiling causing a fire that destroys the venue. Rock band Deep Purple, who were there to use the casino to record their next album, witnesses the fire from their hotel. The incident would be immortalised in their best-known song, Smoke on the Water. On the 5th of December, 1958, Subscriber Trunk Dialing, or STD, is inaugurated in the United Kingdom by Queen Elizabeth II, when she speaks to Lord Provost in a call from Bristol to Edinburgh. On the 6th of December, 1897, London becomes the world's first city to host licensed taxicabs. And on March 31st, 2022, there were 58,000 licensed taxicabs in London. And in England, 260,700 licensed taxicabs and private hire vehicles. On the 7th of December 1703, we see the Great Storm, the greatest windstorm ever recorded in the southern part of Great Britain, makes landfall. Winds gusts up to 120 miles an hour, and 9,000 people die. And lastly, on the 8th of December 1660, a woman, either Margaret Hughes or Anne Marshall, appears on an English public stage for the first time in the role of Desdemona in a production of Shakespeare's play, Othello. Thank you so much for joining me, Alice, on the Backtrack History Show. And weren't the voice actors today brilliant? And they were Kate Kendall, Sophie Townsend and David Hale from St. Stephen's Drama Group right here in Bristol. Thank you one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. (laughs) 